On May 13, 1917, three children claimed to have seen the Virgin Mary six times. The apparition, now known as Our Lady of Fatima, foretold several apocalyptic visions and prophecies. Buster came to the Magic Festival of Turkey last week. Today, May 6, 1981, the festival was over. At the edge of sleep, the phone rang. His mother, New York astrologer Neely Cairo, was on the line. Neely said, You must leave Turkey and fly to Rome. The First Lady needs photographs of the Vatican. The pictures need to be shot on the 13th of May, not a day before, not a day after. Here's the schedule. On May 13th, at 10.15 a.m., get some shots of the Grand Library. At noon, shoot the Piazza Santa Marta. At 2.10 p.m., head over to Fontana del Bernini. Take six shots of each location on 35mm color film. Perspectives should be far, medium, and close up. A courier will take the film to the airport in Rome, and you and Beck can take a holiday after. Lars will take care of the airline and the hotel business. Your Italian itinerary will be waiting downstairs at the front desk. I know it's an odd request, but she's an odd woman. If you have any questions, speak to Lars. See you in a week. Do you have any questions? No, Mama, said Buster Lee. And yes, I love you. After putting down the phone, Neely looked out the window of her office. Central Park West was quiet. Biting her lip, she said, I have a bad feeling about this. The Mysterious World of Buster Lee, presented by Adam Ive. In my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice that I've been turning over in my mind ever since. Feeling too anxious to read beyond the introduction, Buster Lee closed the book, petted the blue healer asleep in his lap, and looked at his boarding pass again. Alitalia Flight 92 from Istanbul to Rome, Buster Lee only had 30 more minutes to kill. Wearing Billings brown bucks, sand socks, terracotta chinos, a dark sack coat, over a sky blue cardinal, over a Mackinac navy vest, over a sand colored button down shirt, and a wristwatch inherited from his late uncle, Buster Lee settled down with Beck for the long flight. 20 paces away, Buster Lee saw three dark skinned Turkish boys. The tallest, with hair like steel wool, walked towards him. I'm Aliaka. Do you mind if I sit here? An affable American, with a wide, toothy smile, Buster Lee extended his small hand. Ali reciprocated. When he sat down, Buster Lee noted the boy's face was that of a 75-year-old man. There were dark circles under his eyes, and his forehead looked like Death Valley. But this was Turkey, right? Life was chaotic, corrupt, and cheap. Pointing to his blue healer, Buster Lee said, this is my dog, Beck, and I'm Buster Lee from Travistock, New Jersey. And you are? Attention, please. 
Turkish Airlines flight number TK2159, Istanbul is ready for departure. Passengers are requested to proceed to gate number 3. After his morning shoot at the Vatican, Buster Lee ate lunch and took a nap. At four, he put Beck on a leash and headed back to St. Peter's Square to see the Pope live. Maybe there was a photo op waiting. Like clockwork, the Pope's car appeared. The mood in St. Peter's Square was joyous. There was a beautiful energy in the air. His face covered by the camera, Buster Lee shot a series of rapid photos of the Pope. They were the kind of candid pictures newspapers and wire services paid for. The Pope's car stopped. Time froze. The crowd lunged left. John Paul's tunic went from marshmallow white to tuna red. The air smelled like Roman candles on the 4th of July. From the corner of his eye, Buster Lee saw a school of doves scatter. A wall of plainclothes armed guards dogpiled the Pope's vehicle while a strange silence encased the Vatican. Hidden beneath the guards, the hemorrhaging Pope and his car vanished. Looking over his shoulder, Buster Lee saw a scrawny boy, not much larger than himself, with a gun. Buster Lee stuck out his foot and tripped the shooter. Jumping on his chest, faces pressed against each other, Buster Lee recognized the assassin. It was Ali Agaka, the Turkish boy from Istanbul Airport. Without forewarning, Beck sunk his razor-sharp teeth into Ali's ankle, releasing a torrent of warm red stuff. You'd think the boy would scream, but he was as quiet as a sleeping lamb. Sometimes, reality sucks. Holding him steady, Buster Lee was yanked from Ali Akka's body by police. Thinking he was a hero, Buster Lee was stunned when he was shackled and thrown in the back of a paddy wagon. Steps away, they manhandled Ali, punched him, and kicked him in the groin before he was cuffed and thrown in a paddy wagon smaller than Buster Lee's. Sitting in the back of the truck, Buster Lee looked at Beck and wondered what was next. After Ali arrived at jail, he was stripped, hooded, photographed, and washed with a coarse solution of chlorine and soap. A team of doctors probed him. He was tied to a cross and photographed again. All the while he pleaded for clemency, but none was to come. Thrown on a cement floor, Ali was kicked while three vicious Rottweilers barked. They strapped a pair of small diapers onto his emaciated body and he was tossed in a four by six foot cell. With only a bowl of water, a cement bed, and a plastic bucket, Ali sobbed and wondered what he'd got himself into.
At an intersection, the paddy wagon stopped. A small policeman opened the back doors, stepped inside, and apologetically unlocked Buster Lee. I'm so sorry, Mr. Buster. Please forgive me, said the policeman. We did not know you were Buster Lee. You look so much taller on TV. Grazie, said Buster Lee, rubbing his wrists and shaking out his arms. When the journey ended, Buster Lee stepped out of the truck into the spring evening and was ushered to a lounge where he was given a glass of red wine, a basket of warm bread, and an antipasta. Italians knew how to treat a guest. After the snack, Buster Lee was met by the young head of operations. Wearing a bespoke suit, he was tall, thin, and as handsome and rugged as movie star Marcello Mastriani. I'm Inspector Domino of Italian Intelligence Services. Yes, you may have a seat. Buster Lee sat in the wing-back chair. Where is my stuff? The door opened, and a man brought in a tray holding Buster Lee's camera. Next to the camera, in an envelope, were the photographs taken earlier. Inspector Domino examined one and said, These are for the First Lady, yes? Buster Lee nodded. Inspector Domino said, You are the son of New York psychic Neely Cairo. We know about your mama's good work. We know about her relationship with Mrs. Reagan. His Holiness the Pope speaks very highly of your mama. Sitting with the camera and the pictures in his lap, Buster Lee cocked his eyebrows as he looked at the photos. Don't worry, Buster Lee. We've already sent these to your mama in New York. So, what can you tell us? In the company of eight agents, a video camera, and a recorder, Buster Lee recounted his trip to the Turkish Magic Festival and meeting Aliaka at Istanbul Airport. Was he alone? asked Domino. Buster Lee shook his head. No, there were two others, both Turkish and his age. Inspector Domino said nothing. Buster Lee said, What will happen to Ali? Your friend Aliaka is in a lot of trouble. Everyone in Italy wants him dead. By hanging. I don't know how to say this, because we can't involve you this way, but will you see Ali at the jail and find out what this is all about? Buster Lee nodded. Well, we're done for now. You can go back to your hotel. But stay in Italy in case we need to speak with you. Standing up, Buster Lee said, And the Pope, is he okay? Inspector Domino was silent. Buster Lee picked up his camera bag and Beck. On his way out of the office, Buster Lee said to the inspector, I'm a photographer. I don't know what to say to Ali. Domino shrugged. I'm sure you will think of something. One always does. They chauffeured Buster Lee and Beck back to the hotel in an unmarked police car. An undercover cop sat beside Buster. When they passed Trevi Fountain, the cop elbowed Buster Lee and said, Last week they shot the new Patrick Swayze music video there. He's good, eh? At the hotel, Buster Lee saw a light blinking on his phone. In the old days, that's how you knew you had a message. Whoever called can wait, thought Buster Lee. In the restroom, Buster Lee picked up Beck and put him in the tub. He washed the gunpowder off the blue healer's coat and put a drop of cologne on him. After showering, Buster Lee curled up on the bed, hugged Beck, and watched TV. The Pope story was on every channel. Good evening, now it's happened again. Today, the Pope in the eternal city of Rome. But now at the end of this dreadful day, we can say this with certainty. The Most people, God help them, 
never witness an assassination. The smell of charcoal, sulfur, saltpeter, and blood, the yelling, the crying, the confusion, the chaos, the noise, and the sudden silence is too much to bear. Buster Lee turned off the TV and fell asleep staring at the lights of the passing cars outside. In the morning, Buster Lee was going to Rabibia Jail to see Aliaka. What began as an anodyne trip to a magic show in Turkey had taken a hard turn right and mutated into a nightmare. At Rome's notorious Rabibia Jail, guards shuffled Buster Lee and Beck to the maximum security wing. In the middle was a large room with a cage big enough to house a gorilla. Italians, loving their pets, Beck was allowed in. Dressed in diapers, eyes blackened, face bruised, Aliaka, looking worse for wear, stood to greet Buster Lee. Nuzzling his bony face against the steel bars of the cell, Ali said, they sent you to find out why, didn't they? Buster Lee stared at the floor. Without provocation, Aliaka hissed, I am a gray wolf. I am Jesus. The world will end. I take my orders from Bulgaria and Moscow. I hate the Poles. I hate the West. You tell that to the Italians. Now get out, American infidel. Get out. This meeting was going nowhere. Buster Lee picked up Beck and said, Guard, he's like three people trying to get through the door at the same time. Get me out of here. We'll try again tomorrow. The guard escorted Buster Lee out of the room, down a set of steps, through the security doors, around three corners, up a flight of stairs, and into not one, but four elevators before Buster Lee left the jail. Sitting in a park near the jail, a starling landed on the path in front of Buster Lee, then hopped back into the air and was swept away. Except for the birds, the sky above Rome was cloudless. Buster Lee gazed down at Beck. We associate what people say with what they're thinking, but this isn't always the case. What was His Holiness thinking? Before the Third Reich, before World War II, there was Davos. Nestled in beautiful Switzerland in the mid-19th century, Davos's pure microclimate was a magnet for those with tuberculosis. R.L. Stevenson, author of Treasure Island, was a guest. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle came to Davos with his wife. Of skiing at Davos, Conan Doyle wrote, we shot along over gently dipping curves, skimming down into the valley without a motion of our feet in that great untrodden waste, with snowfields bounding our vision on every side and no marks of life, save the tracks of chamois and of foxes. It was glorious to whiz along 
in this easy fashion. The Pope, John Paul, was 14 when he first visited Davos. Athletically gifted, John Paul skied these mountains dozens of times. The sky, the air, the speed, the ham and cheese sandwiches, the beer. For the future Pope, Davos was heaven on earth. Beneath a ventilator, connected to a cluster of life support machines, how could anyone know that John Paul was dreaming about Davos? A horde of military and media helicopters hovered like dragonflies over Jamili Hospital. In every direction, F-14 zipped by at breathtaking speeds. Encircling the enormous infirmary were thousands of soldiers, militia, and press. Although some were invited, most were not. Thousands of CIA, KGB, and MI6 operatives milled around in aviator glasses, whispering into their wrist radios. Looking at the security, Buster Lee thought, at this rate, I'm never going to see the Pope. Buster Lee stepped out of the hospital laundry dressed like a nurse. A chart on the wall indicated the Pope was held in a security ward, one floor up, and that his condition was critical. When no one was looking, Buster Lee stole a food cart and ran to the elevator. As the doors shut, he said to Beck, you wait here, I'll be right back. Nurse or not, the Swiss guards outside the Pope's room didn't want to let the personable buck through the doors. Quibbling, Buster Lee said, His Holiness is hungry. He wants these pierogies. They were made by Polish cooks for him, right? The guards, easily swayed, stood aside. Buster Lee opened the door and entered the Pope's hospital room. Shaking the recovering pontiff gently, Buster Lee said, Your Holiness, are you awake? Opening his soft blue eyes, the weakened pontiff said, Is that you, Buster Lee? I knew you would come. Buster Lee held John Paul's frail hand. The old man looked away and said, I know they want him, Buster Lee. I know they want to hang Aliaka. And maybe they are right. Maybe Aliaka should die. Looking out the window, Buster Lee saw workers assembling a gallows worthy of El Duce. The Pope, leaning on his shoulders, said, What should I do? Buster Lee looked out the window and pointed to the clouds. His Holiness lay back, pressed his fingers to his lips, and closed his eyes. Later that night, surrounded by a coterie of Vatican heavyweights, John Paul issued a declaration. After much prayer, Pope John Paul forbid that other than incarceration, no further suffering should come to Aliaka. There would be no hanging. Instead, Aliaka shall languish behind bars until the courts say he has paid his debt. In hindsight, why did Aliaka shoot the Pope? Aliaka changed the story many times. He claimed to be a Manchurian candidate. 
he blamed the Ayatollah Khomeini. He claimed to be the puppet of a cult in Bulgaria. By the 21st century, he asserted he was under the control of senior figures within the Vatican. In the end, no one was sure why Aliaka shot the Pope. Now 60-something years old, Aliaka cares for rescue cats and dogs at his home outside Istanbul. He no longer remembers Buster Lee or meeting him. A year after the assassination attempt, John Paul II traveled to Fatima to pray and give thanks to Mary for saving his life. Every Christmas until his passing, Buster Lee received a handwritten card from John Paul, the contents of which are secret. Only Buster Lee knows what those Christmas cards said. Buster Lee heard the landing gear drop. With Beck's nose pressed against his neck and Kennedy Airport three minutes below, Buster Lee thought of what Nick Carraway wrote. In my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice that I've been turning over in my mind ever since. Even though Buster Lee never met his daddy, and it would take years to understand, Carraway's words resonated. Looking at the lights below and hugging the little blue healer, Buster Lee said something to the dog. A secret only he and Beck would know. You've been listening to The Mysterious World of Buster Lee, presented by Adam Ive. Mystery World theme by Oliver Wickham. Follow us on Instagram. Go ampersandpod underscore planet. For show notes and merch, go to podplanet.org. Special thanks to Tattoo Sound and Music. The Mysterious World of Buster Lee is written and produced by podplanet.org.